1: even as it's an honor I am unsure how I found my way into. But it's an honor nonetheless. And I'm grateful for many friendly faces in the audience, many from Church Health, who will, I'm sure, be honest enough to tell me if I blow it once I get back to work. I'm grateful for each of you who have come out this afternoon to close off this work week with a time of reflection. Won't you pray with me? Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Lord, you call for songs of loudest praise. So teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Lord, here is your mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. And so now, God, I pray that you might speak. Speak a word to us, your children. A word that will comfort and correct. A word that will challenge us and send us out to do your will and to follow you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Given the text that I've chosen to lift up for our consideration this afternoon, I am deeply grateful that immediately following service, you'll have a chance to wash this message down with a good meal at the waffle shop. Because the truth of the matter is that the words that come to us from the prophet Amos are not sweet, they're bitter. They're not soothing, they're piercing. They're meant to sting, to unsettle, to even cause a sense of alarm. And yet these are the words that I'd like to use this afternoon to go on a journey. A journey that will ask us to sit with what this Lenten season demands of each of us. This is a journey where we'll have to be honest. A journey where we'll have to resist the temptation to look away. A journey into the meaning of sacrifice. The meaning of sacrifice. Let us journey together. Where does your Linton story begin? Or put it another way. What is it about this Lenten season that made you show up today, aside from the waffles, of course? Well, maybe that question doesn't really do it for you, so what about this? Why do you give up chocolate for 40 days? Isn't chocolate the thing you end up sacrificing each year? At least I remember that's what I was told you were supposed to sacrifice for Lent as a child. Today, perhaps, it's been replaced by coffee or our use of social media, uh, fasting from fast food, or even alcohol. Or maybe you're part of that other camp of folks who add something rather than sacrifice something during this season, which, if we're honest, is also its own way of sacrificing because you're adding what you would not normally do if given the chance, because who really wants to add more time in the gym, if we're honest? You're an adder, added productivity and efficiency at work, added time with family and loved ones, added grace to those encounters that tap dance on your very last good nerve, adding, sacrificing. How do you spend these 40 days, these 40 days of spiritual formation, fortitude, and faith? For the story that we tell ourselves, the story that we share and believe in is that through these 40 days, our lives will become more grounded, more enlightened, more reflective, more prepared to encounter our risen Savior, Jesus the Christ. The story that we tell ourselves during this season of sacrificing is that these momentary inconveniences prepare us to encounter truly and authentically the meaning of the empty cross, the empty tomb, and our God who is human enough to die and God enough to live again. That's the story that we tell, isn't it? That this Lenten season We observe each and every year is a process of preparation and recentering, a reminder that Jesus promises us life, and that more abundantly. A good life, a blessed life, a life that is held in the hands of God, a life that after we sacrifice for a little while will be better on the other side. I mean, why else begin this season with smudges of oil-infused ash on your foreheads? Why would we subject ourselves to the heaviness of this season, the call to remember our own mortality and our own limits, to confess that we are dust, and to dust we shall return, dust that can be washed away, blown away, dust that can be forgotten, Where does your Lenten story begin? Why do you sacrifice? What do you sacrifice? Those questions call to mind my own story, because I'll never forget my first observance of Lent. It was complicated. You see, I was not born a Presbyterian. And for the record, there are not a ton of black folks who were born and bred Presbyterians in the first place. Let's just get that out there. I was, in fact, born a Pentecostal, where church was a daily occurrence. We had Monday evening devotions, Tuesday night Bible studies, Wednesday night prayer services, Thursday night choir rehearsals, Friday night youth groups. And on Saturday, you may or may not be doing something that had you repenting on Sunday morning. I grew up Pentecostal, and in the brand of Pentecostalism in which I was raised, we weren't an overly liturgical kind of people. In other words, when I first mentioned Lent to my mother, she informed me that she had already cleaned the lint trap in the dryer. <laughs> my first observance of Lent was complicated. I was a Pentecostal who went to Catholic school. And what Catholic school convinced me is that I was this close to being irredeemably lost, but Jesus. And so as a sign of respect and honor and faithfulness, it was my Christian duty to sacrifice something that I loved for 40 days, just as Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness before sacrificing himself, For us, I had to sacrifice something for Jesus. Does any of this sound familiar? If so, that's good. Because I went into my first Lent committed to being the absolute best sacrificer for Jesus I could be. This is really why you shouldn't mix Catholic guilt and Pentecostal passion. It really never works out well. That's why my first observance was of Lent was complicated. Before that first season of Lent, I gave up chocolate because that's what I was told you're supposed to do as a faithful eight-year-old. But giving up chocolate wasn't enough. No, when someone around me opened up chocolate, I actively walked away. Uh, I convinced my mother, mother to throw away all the chocolate syrup in the refrigerator because the temptation to make chocolate milk was just too great. And I remember somewhere around day 30, I mistakenly ate a chocolate chip cookie and I ran home, brushed my teeth twice, and fell on bended knee begging God to forgive me. My first observance of Lent was complicated to say the least. But I had to up the ante, of course, because I'm a Pentecostal that goes to Catholic school, so I didn't end Lent on day 40. I just kept on going. That, real, that Catholic guilt and Pentecostal passion doesn't really mix because it made me want to be the best sacrificer to ever do Lent in the history of Lent. So I kept on going. But somewhere around day 52, while sitting on my front steps craving chocolate like I had never craved chocolate before. I told God, I'm sorry, I've given it all that I've got. I've got to have some chocolate, so I ran into the house, snatched open the refrigerator, and reached all the way to the back and got that chocolate bunny that Sister Loretta had given me on Easter Sunday, and that bunny didn't stand a chance. And as I was walking back outside to the front steps, my little sisters ran up to me asking for pieces of them. And as I shoved them away, I reminded them, you can't have any. I've earned this. Why do we sacrifice? What do we sacrifice? Because the false promise that we place upon the meaning of sacrifice is that it somehow makes us more worthy. That sacrifice somehow bestows upon us more rights and more righteousness. Somehow it bestows upon us a sense of worthiness more than another. It gives us a false sense of confidence that having performed our faith, we are somehow more faithful than those who never walked around with ashes on their foreheads. And like my little sisters who I shoved away, even though, let's be honest, they deserved it. My sacrifice made it okay to overlook them and their needs. Why do you sacrifice? What do you sacrifice? What principles have you rendered negotiable? What relationships have you made expendable? What do you sacrifice? And if not what, then who? Who has been sacrificed as you've endeavored to be a good Christian and live that good life? Who has been sacrificed in your attempts to build this life you're living, a life that if examined honestly is often less about Christ and is more often steeped in our own hubris. And if by chance you can't think of something or someone that you have sacrificed, maybe that which has been sacrificed has been yourself. The truth of your dreams, the slow methodical silencing of the voice of the genuine within your heart that once beckoned you to walk with God wherever God called, what have you sacrificed? Who have you sacrificed? Did it make you feel more worthy? Was it worth it? at all. This Lenten season is often lifted up as an invitation to turn inward and tend to the quality of our own spiritual lives, but perhaps we've been doing it all wrong. Perhaps we should be turning outward, concerned not about the quality or impact of our sacrifice, but rather repenting for what in who we have sacrificed unjustly and unrighteously in our quest to prop up our own sense of self-worthiness at the cost of what God truly desires. Perhaps this is why the words that come to us from the prophet Amos are not sweet but bitter, not soothing but piercing. Maybe this is why they sting and unsettle us so much I hate. I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melodies of your harps. And it doesn't seem like God cares much about us giving up chocolate. It's Amos whose day job is a trimmer of sycamore trees, quite literally a landscaper who was called away from working the land by God to go into a nation to proclaim God's words to a people who had made an art of sacrificing. Amos' words come to us all the way from the eighth century before Christ at a time when Israel had made sacrificing popular. There were rituals that were built around sacrificing, festivals, preaching series, and revivals, tarrying services, and worship experiences, all built around the art of sacrifice. Music was written, instruments were created, all to support this sacrificial culture. And it was set up this way, intentionally to help Israel remember the meaning of sacrifice. Back when sacrifice was less about the quality of what was given up, but rather focused on what it was, why it was that there was a sacrifice. Back when the posture of how you made your sacrifice was more important than how costly the sacrifice was. But the problem is that as Amos points out somewhere along the way, Israel got distracted. And I know that that's a testimony each of us can share because they got distracted by other things that masquerade as God, distracted by the performance of sacrifice, distracted by a love of things at the expense of a love of people, distracted by a self-centeredness that claimed that God had chosen them and blessed them and forsaken everyone else. A sense of justice... That's what they ended up sacrificing. A sense of responsibility to one another, that's what they ended up sacrificing. A sense of care for the people around them, that is what they ended up sacrificing. And so the quality of their rituals and routine offerings lost their meaning. All of a sudden, God didn't seem to care if they had given up chocolate for Lent. God didn't seem to care for the burnt offerings, nor the social media fasts, the grain offerings, nor the meatless Fridays, for their sacrifice had become public performance, mere theatrics, a spectacle to prove just how good, how qualified, how compassionate we claim to be. God says, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your hearts, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, the meaning of our sacrifice is hollow and empty if the reason for our sacrifice is tied up in a self-serving search for worthiness. The meaning of our sacrifice is empty if it is divorced from our duty to make justice our commitment and our creed. Now, I am a preacher of the gospel, and so I won't leave you without a bit of good news. A way out, if you will. Might I suggest two things to mull over while waiting in line at the waffle shop? that the only way out of the quandary we find ourselves in is through. It's through the threefold love that the prophet Micah calls us to live out, a love of justice, a love of mercy, and a love of a life lived with God. Our way through is by cleaning up the ever-flowing streams of justice right here in this city that we pollute with reckless abandon and neglect. Our way through looks like the work that I witness each day at Church Health as we try to stand in the gap for our neighbors who have been abused by a healthcare system that cares for profits. And not people. Our way through looks like the work of creating access to food when grocers have deserted black and brown neighborhoods. Our way through is by telling an honest story about what hatred and an insidious form of racial supremacy, a supremacy blessed by the church, taught by the schools, enforced by the police system, encoded by the court system, profited from by the financial system, we have to tell an honest story about what this evil has done on every block in this city and in this county. Our way out is through a reckoning With what we have sacrificed and who we have sacrificed, it's not about giving up more chocolate. It's the psalmist in Psalm 51 who reminds us that the kind of sacrifice God desires, the kind of sacrifice that God will never despise, is a broken and contrite heart. How do we get out of this moral quandary we find ourselves in, it's quite simple. We stop sacrificing. We stop sacrificing our principles. We stop sacrificing people on the altar of over-policing and under-education, on the altar of homelessness and inequitable health care, on the altar of our own desire to build our lives on the backs of others and call it good but beloved ones we are not we are not without hope and our hope is in this we do not have to change on our own the one who promises to accomplish for us what we cannot is with us the one who can secure the justice we are so adept at perverting for others is with us. The one who is well able to hold together that which our fragile selves cannot contain. God is with us. The God that Amos calls in verse 27, the Lord God of hosts. I love that title for God because it refers to God's singular sovereignty over this world And the next, I love this title for God because it refers to the way that God is able to be according to the faithful folks who raised me, a bridge over troubled waters, a friend to the friendless, a doctor in the sick room and a lawyer in the courtroom. It refers to God's ability to do what no other earthly power can do. Give us the courage to live right, to walk right, the courage to take the risk of giving up not chocolate, but our very lives and putting them in the hands of a God who promises to sustain us without sacrificing what ought not be sacrificed. Where does your Linton story begin? Does it begin by giving up chocolate or adding more time in the gym. Perhaps this day and this Lenten season, we are called not to sacrifice this or that in the hopes that our lives become more full and we prove ourselves worthy. Perhaps what this Lenten season calls us to is this. As Howard Thurman once wrote, if I make of my life an offering, and a dedication to God, then this dedication will include all of my entanglements and involvements. There follows then a radical change over my entire landscape and miraculously, I am free at my center. It is for this reason that it is well again and again to reestablish my dedication to make repeatedly an offering of my life. Each year, every Lenten season, let's not kid ourselves. The chocolate doesn't matter. But our lives, these imperfect and fragile lives that we live must be sacrificed time and time again to the God who forms us and knows us So that our faith, our hope, and our reliance may be in God alone. To do what we cannot do, to bring justice, to grant us peace, and to show us the way of love. In the name of God the Creator, Christ our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit who sustains us each day, Amen.
0: The Calvary podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them. And that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.